food laboratory in the basement of his home. John from CEO Raider. Check us out online at CEORadar.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can talk until you're blue in the face on the platform about your CEO. If you don't interact with your CEO and you don't have anything to say, positive or negative, talk about your company. We'd love to hear what you have to say about your company, about your industry. Talk about your commute to work. Talk about a cool new product you're working on, if you're allowed to do so. Talk about cool things that are going on in the industry, change that you'd like to see in the industry. It's all anonymous. We're not a social platform. We are an anonymous platform for users. At some point in the future, maybe we'll give users the ability to attach their name or a username, but for the moment, it's a completely anonymous platform. If you want to talk about an experience that you've had with a product or service that you recently purchased, you may do that and review that company. It doesn't have to be the company you work for. So we are in Correct me if you know otherwise, but to my knowledge, we are the only place on the internet where an employee, a customer, and or an institutional investor may post anonymous feedback about a given company or CEO. The only place where those three stakeholder groups may come together. Not Glassdoor, not LinkedIn, at least not anonymously. Only us. And you may search for a company or a CEO on our platform by name, by ticker symbol. If you're an institutional investor, you probably will look by ticker symbol. We have both public and private companies on the platform. We have approximately, what, 1,300 companies? And we're growing that list. Our goal is to have every public company, at least those on a U.S. exchange initially, on the platform. And over time, to have every single privately held company on the platform. And we know Facebook wants to go there. We know Google wants to go there. We think we can do it better because we think we can do it by applying Focus, one of our principles that we talked about on an earlier podcast that entrepreneurs must adhere to. David can challenge Goliath if David applies focus. But I don't want to talk about focus today. I actually just had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine, Greg Walls. Do you remember Greg? From a podcast about movement and the entrepreneur. And we were just chatting about a number of things, but he reminded me... One of the things we need to do is to incorporate what I call learning management content on our platform. So one of the smartest things I think that LinkedIn has ever done is to acquire Linda, which I think was a 2015 acquisition, L-Y-N-D-A, which is a learning management platform. If you see those uh, learning management videos in your feed, which are a function of your interests on LinkedIn, the different companies you follow, uh, those interests that you've self-identified with on the, uh, on the platform by checking a box, venture capital, private equity, entrepreneurship, technology. I don't know how many different quote-unquote groups LinkedIn has on its platform, but as you check those groups, you sort of form a profile for yourself as, to, as far as the, the, the different interests you have, the different business interests. I don't think there are any sort of social or non-business interests on the platform that may be, but I think they're all business-oriented. And as you 
So to check the box, LinkedIn builds this profile for you, and then you see these learning management videos in your feed, and some of them are free to watch. I think a number of them are premium, but we want to build similar content into CEO Raider and have that content be focused around you know, what we've talked about on this podcast. So largely technology, broadly defined, uh, corporate governance, which is a, another personal interest of mine in addition to technology, capital markets, you know, this type of thing, entrepreneurship for sure. And we think there are certain principles that cut across industries, cut across size of company that are broadly applicable. And the one I was chatting about with, with Greg today was, uh, he and I both noticed we have a number of friends that are entrepreneurs and you know, acquaintances. And what you'll notice is that oftentimes entrepreneurs underprice their services. You know, we're all, as entrepreneurs, uh, managers of, of uh, startup companies in particular, um, we're, we're, we're anxious to provide our service. We're excited about our product, our service. And we want to get it in the hands of as many customers as possible. We want it to be broadly adopted. And as a result, we sometimes underprice, undervalue our services. And heck, I used to see this back in my investment banking days, back in my M&A days, with companies that weren't even necessarily startups. You know, they were smaller companies. They may not have been billion-dollar revenue companies. They may have been 20 million, 50 million, even $100 million company. And, and I'd even see it, frankly, with some larger companies where there wasn't the proper attention applied to a product, product market fit. We'll talk about that in a separate podcast. But when products and services tend to not get enough senior attention, entrepreneur attention, um, the, the natural tendency is to underprice those services and to get those products broadly disseminated across the market, whether it's a, a product that's brand new to the market where there's nothing else like it, or in the case where there are a number of incumbents in the, the startup, the new market entrant is trying to dislodge the incumbent. It's, it's, it's awfully tempting for that startup to, to underprice his or her services, underprice its services in the hopes of uh, dislodging the, the incumbent, eating away at their margin. And so the risk in doing so is that if you have, in fact, a premium quality product, a better mousetrap, it should be priced as a premium product, even if you're new to market. If you can deliver results that are, let's just, you know, if, if your ROI to the customer, the customer ROI for your product is double that of what it is for the incumbent, for whatever the product or service is. And let's say the product or service is uh, something that's mission critical to the customer, right? It, it's, it's really important to the customer. And you can do it twice as well. The ROI is double. It's not on par. It's 2x that of the incumbent, the value prop, the ROI, however you want to define it, okay? Well, you ought, you ought to price it as such. You don't want to have something that's five times as effective and costs a fifth of what the incumbent product costs. Now, that's a way to completely destroy the incumbent, but then don't make the mistake thinking that, hey, if I can crush the incumbent, then once I crush the incumbent, I can raise my prices to it. No, 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 no. Once you sort of set a price in the market and it's been in the market long enough that the customer sort of identifies that price price, that, that price point with your uh, product or service, it, it's going to be awfully hard to walk them up the value chain after that. It's going to be difficult to increase prices. And look, you can increase them by a point or so every year, have a CPI kicker. But to appreciably increase prices, it, it would be difficult once you've established that price in the customer's mind. 
it's always easier to start high and then work your way backwards. So if you if you introduce your widget at ten dollars and you find that hey, you know it's it's difficult to establish traction in the market at ten dollars, but if we maybe if we inch the the price point, excuse me, down to you know nine seventy five nine fifty, we start to see traction. If we inch it down to nine and a quarter nine bucks, we really see traction. If we go to seven bucks, we blow the doors off. We're we're doing a ton of volume, but maybe our margins are suboptimal at that point. You know, maybe the optimal price point is 850 and the way to get there is through experimentation you know we've talked about sort of the concept of testing and learning testing and learning you know measure as you experiment there is no right or wrong answer when you're doing something for the first time just get it out there experiment and you know measure the results but it's a tried and true principle that it's easier to sort of walk your product price point down over time if you're trying to find product market fit establish an equilibrium price in the marketplace it's easier to come down than it is to lift prices and go up so that's the principle i wanted to discuss today that's sort of the not just a lesson for the entrepreneur especially for the entrepreneur but it's a lesson for everybody as you roll out new products to market and look if you i'm not talking about a, i'm not talking about a new version of where you've had a product in the market for 20 years and you're just incrementally improving it yeah, you can get a little bit of price lift in that case. But if you're, if you're really bringing out something new to market and you're trying to establish your brand in the market and in a, in a, in a price point with that brand, start high. See everybody next time.